Oh, the shape up or get. If you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock this? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Stunning. It was absolutely stunning. I said it on the day and I'll repeat it now. Only one other player on the planet that could have scored that goal, and that was Leo Messi. It was the work of art, a rare thing of beauty. It needed no words as we looked at it time and time again on BN Sports. Even the great Richard Keyes was blown away by Mohamed Salah's mazy run and fire, as he fired the ball into the back of the net against Manchester City. Welcome along to Team 33, Enda here. And we are going to be talking about Mo Salah's goal. We're going to be talking about Liverpool. We're going to be talking about the great rivalries of the Premier League era. And to do that, I am joined on the line by Arthur O'D. Arthur, how are you getting on? Not so bad, Andrew. How are you? I'm grand. We will also be joined by Colin Buig very shortly. Don't call it a comeback, but he is making a dramatic comeback to the show after a while away. He was getting married and he even got his hair cut for the occasion. I'm not sure I'm okay with that, but... He's, he's he, always the drama queen is is Colin Buig and he is coming into the show in dramatic effect as well. Let's start with the Liverpool goal here, Arthur. I say the Liverpool goal, it should be the Mo Salah goal. I mean, it seems that this is a truly unique goal, but then you've seen Mo Salah score four or five, which are equally amazing in the same in a similar way as well. What was your reaction when that goal went in? It's just sort of disbelief. It's just kind of, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, you know almost what he's going to do. But I was always, I think the thing that kind of twisted it, even when he's kind of, when it appears he's going to switch on to the left, but takes it on to the right, to an even harder angle. <laughs> just the speed of it. But I, it's just staggering. Like, it was, it was, it's really when you watch it back, and I was watching it back again before we started chatting here. And like, the way the ball is bouncing, it's not even, it's up and about, it's just, it is almost, the thing I immediately kind of thought of watching it back again, was like it's almost more so as if you're watching someone like a basketball player go in for a dunk, the way he's maneuvering around. The fact that he's controlling it as he is with his feet in such an unpredictable... It's just just class. It really was something special. What did you make of it? I can't believe that he was able to do the little maneuvers with his feet. The, my favourite little intricate part of that goal is when he switches the ball from his right to left or his left to right foot, takes a touch with the right and then brings it back onto the left before going past, I think it's Laporte in the end. And it was just, oh, it was absolutely magic. The the greatest crime of that goal is that it was not the winner, that Manchester yeah. City actually came back to score and equalize in that game. And that wasn't the culmination of what really was a fantastic game. The first half was you know, a little bit of a lull, but I, I was still amazed by watching this game at, just the, the sheer speed of the the play, the the quality on show, and I, I sat there watching, and I was like, these are these are easily the two best teams in the league, and have been for the last five years, and you can tell that because almost watching it from a United perspective, I can't fathom United playing football to the same level in which these two teams were playing, and that's not to bring it into a United chat. I just I just thought the level that they were playing was like watching a Champions League final. 
Yeah, it is like that. It's like when you, especially remember that distinction as well last year, kind of when thing was when football was kind of coming back, and then you see some of those Champions League games. You know, when it was like you had a Premier League game basically every night, so you see the full kind of gamut of the of the quality available. But then you, um, gee, the, the quality like of those, it's it's serious. I put Chelsea up there as well, to be honest. I do think maybe not in terms of like that, just the the, the electricity of it sometimes. But in, I think I think they're there thereabouts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm always struck by anytime watching City, how many chances, particularly that not they waste, but like there's so many times where that killer ball is played to perfection that like you think like the, I'm thinking even of the one where I not probably should have been a penalty with Foden going in and getting taken down by Milner, but that that ball seems to be just every time that it, it, just it yeah like you're saying it's the pace of it the speed of it it's so hard to keep up with I cannot imagine what it must be like to play against yeah yeah James Milner probably the luckiest man on the planet to stay <laughs> on the pitch during that, that game that was I, I saw several people comparing it to Gary Neville's performance yeah. against West Brom that made him retire and I can imagine uh, I can imagine James Milner was feeling something similar and in the first half, at least, against Phil Foden, who was just absolutely electric as well. It reminded me sort of, I can't remember the, the last great heavyweight boxing match. Maybe it was the first um, Joshua, who was it that he fought a couple of years ago, where it was just like end-to-end, both fighters just completely going at it and completely exhausted by the end of it. And that just seemed like what we were seeing. It was two superpowers going toe-to-toe. And it was one of the rare top six games that you get where both teams just properly went for it. It reminded me sort of of, you know, circa 2017 when these two sides were were going for the title and it was Klopp's heavy metal football and they were just really just absolutely going for each other's heads. City looked like if they had a number nine on that pitch like Harry yeah. Kane, they probably could have scored about four or five in that, in that first half. I think that's, I think you're spot on. It's, I just, it, the, the sheer amount of chances and even the last time when I was watching last weekend when they played Chelsea as well, just the amount of chances they create. And I, like, again, it's just, yeah, you, I, I'm kind of, it's confusing a little bit because you kind of do think, well, they're not going to win every game five or six nil, but <laughs> they always seem to create enough chances. But I don't like, is it so simple then that if they have, say, Harry Kane, and if Harry Kane was bought in, is that a case then that you know, maybe maybe over the course of 38 games, that's the league stitched up for them or sun up. But in a game like that, do you think it's going to make all the difference? I think so. I, I genuinely think, like you said, the amount of times the ball went through across that six-yard box where yeah. Harry Kane lives, and <laughs> I, I just, I just believe that he would have scored at least one in that game, if not two, and that, especially the first half where Liverpool were, I say, quite flat, and Jurgen Klopp did a really good job explaining that rare opportunity to see into the mind of Jurgen Klopp, who doesn't really give away his tactics all that. All, all that often. I do want to bring someone in here. Colin Boog is back. He is back on the show. Short-haired Colin Boog. I already, I already dissed you. I'm not going to diss you to your face. I already dissed you behind your back about cutting your hair, Colin. But let's let's talk about Liverpool, Man City. Did you watch the game first of all? Probably should ask. Great that sign of your character, Enda. A really great. I'd love to know. What, I'm going to watch it back and see what you said. Well, you see, and, I told uh, you now. So you, you like, I'm, I'm sort of doing it because I'm at least yeah, telling you like that I spoke my hair back. It's, it's okay. It's kind of half cowardly. And Arthur and myself, this is the first time we've ever been on air together. Yeah. There you go. There you that, go. That's, that correct calculation? I know, for sure. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I upgraded while you were off in your wedding. And uh, your, uh, your honours. Um, Liverpool Man City. What's the question? The whole day, is it? 
For, firstly, I asked you, did I did you watch it? I didn't ask you before, well, so if you asked you it before I asked you to come you on, did. yeah. So, so what we, we were comparing it to, like a great heavyweight boxing match where both teams were just absolutely going for it. What was your thoughts on it? Yeah, I thought Man City were unbelievable in the first half, and was it um, was it Damien Delaney said or, with ourselves this week or somebody else said they thought it was a very poor first half? I thought City were great. I thought Liverpool were very average, and then the second half will go down as an all-time Premier League classic. Um, there were so many good players in the pitch. It wasn't just Phil Foden and Mo Salah. There were so many really good, you know, high-quality performers. And it was a real throwback to me for uh, for a few reasons. Like, number one, that Mo Salah goal, right? The individuality of that. First of all, you just wouldn't see that in the Pep Guardiola Manchester City team. You know, he'd almost be criticised for doing that afterwards because, you know, he didn't look up and find his man. And I found that the one thing missing in modern football, like, I think for me in my lifetime, this is the best that football has ever been on a technical level. It's just unbelievable. But what it has sacrificed is spontaneity and individuality. So that Salah goal, you know, as much as I hate Liverpool, was just unbelievable. And it was, you know, that finish as well. And it just made, I think, everybody make uh, audible gasps around the world watching it, whether they had company or not in the room. And that's the, that's the reason we all watch football in the first place. So I really enjoyed it for that element but just that it was, you know, it was a ding-dong classic. And when I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe Kevin De Bruyne scored because I really thought Salah was going to be the last goal of the match. And when, yeah, it, when that's it was what I scored, said. I said at the start, it was a crime that it wasn't the winning goal. No, it, no, it was brilliant. Brilliant from Manchester United perspective. But I thought, I can't believe there's another goal in this match. And then I was, <laughs> it was really, really hard to tell how it was going to end for the last 10 minutes. Uh, but yeah. I, it, was just, it was just a brilliant match. And it was a real throwback. It was like a real Premier League classic. And I don't think we've had too many of them in the last few years. Mm. Well, the man who got the equalising goal for Man City in, uh, initially, where so Sadio Mane opens goal, Phil Foden is another player who had an amazing game altogether. And his goal was I mean, absolutely exceptional as well. The area of the goal that he knocked it into, you're thinking yeah, that cannot get more into the side net. And then Mo Salah goes and does his and it's almost from an impossible, impossible angle where you think Ederson is absolutely always going to save that, and it just finds the net somehow. But Bernardo Silva, what about Bernardo Silva? He was he was robbed of one of the absolute all time great. I don't know what would you call it. You'd have to give him the credit for the goal, even though it was Phil Foden that fluffed his lines in the end. But he t- he tore apart the City side in the same manner in which Mo Salah t- tore apart, or he sorry he tore apart apart the Liverpool side the same way that Bernardo Silva or that Salah toward the Man City I butchered that sentence my god <laughs> but you know what I mean and then he passes the ball off and it doesn't end up in a goal so there could have been potentially four absolutely world-class goals in a world-class game and that for me oh, makes this rivalry amazing why did um why did Foden take a touch yeah yeah why didn't he just slot it straight away and like he was getting so much praise from Gary Neville in particular which was the ultimate battle job to split the man of the match award it was insane and like, oh, I actually forgot about better. that. Listen, we'll talk about it. We'll come back, yeah, to, that. We'll come back to that. I don't understand what he was talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, Salah's a funny one, right? I, I'm, I just want to put it out there because there's been a lot of love for Salah. So just for the sake of balance, right? As amazing as Salah is, <laughs> he gives the he gives the ball away an awful lot. He's very poor in possession, like very poor in possession. But he, what he does is these moments, and he has so many of them, which makes him. Uh, kind of unparalleled, really. I don't really know anybody else like Salah in the game. So obviously he's uh, worth having in your team. But I do think that he, I think he seeds possession an awful lot for a world-class player. I don't know what you think. Like, it was just, it, 
it came to my mind. He had a one-on-one with, I think it was Laporte or maybe Diaz. It took nothing for them to take the ball out of him. But then he'll do that, you know, five or six times in a row. And then the seventh time, he'll create history. Okay, let, let's talk about Salah individually then as you as you bring him up because I, I actually have a few stats here. So in 2017-2018, uh, he broke Cristiano Ronaldo's goal-scoring record, scoring 32 league goals. Um, he also overtook Didier Drogba uh, as the most goals scored by an African player in the Premier League season. In, tw- tw- in tw- 2017-18, same season, he scored uh, 24 of in 38 games and... He has scored well over 100 goals in the Premier League at this point in time. He still probably has about three to four years left if he stays at Liverpool for the next couple of years. Is he, because I saw Kieran Cunningham say this, is he Liverpool's best player of the modern era? I suppose you'd have to put him up there. I mean, just on the basis of what they've won, I suppose of what they've, like of what they've won. Um, I like... I suppose who are the main contenders? You're talking about out, so outright players. You're talking about probably. So I, I, I just just talking complete talent. You're talking like Virgil Van Dijk is clearly one of them. You'd have Suarez. to put Steven Gerrard in there, Luis Suarez. You're talking Xabi Alonso, even though you know probably didn't have his best years at, at Liverpool. Probably you know his his latter years are probably the peak Xabi Alonso. Colm's friend I, Fernando I, Torres. Fernando Torres, yeah. So I. I think I I loved Luis Suarez simply because of who he is, and Mo Salah is such a car like complete opposite to what Luis yeah. Suarez is <laughs> in terms of his his just his uh, mentality and the way that he, his brand is run. But I I can't find a strong argument to suggest that Mo Salah is not Liverpool's best player. Uh, based on what? Talent, ability, impact, what he brings to the team, what they have without him. Uh, I don't know, lads. I think if Salah doesn't score that goal against Man City, we're all saying he's brilliant. But are we talking? To, are we going back to this debate again? Like, it was just a brilliant moment. Like, I, I don't think he was. He was. I think he was good in the game. But I think the moment was amazing, and he's capable of it. I, I, I thought. I thought Luis Suarez is a different level. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone like him. In ter- like he used to do this move where he just he put it right next to the defender which made it impossible for them to tackle him. It was genius. Like, it was really brilliant. And yeah. um, I, I just thought he... I, I, you know, he talked about United fan. Like, I feared him. Yeah. Uh, even more so than Torres, when Torres used to rip United apart regularly for a short spell. But I really feared Suarez. But Salah, I, I think you could notify Salah's threat. But I, I, I suppose that Salah has above anybody else at all for Liverpool. And possibly, with the exception maybe of Thierry Henry's spontaneity in abundance. And it's very, very difficult to defend against... And I, I really enjoy watching him play, but I, I don't know. Uh, and then, like, Liverpool have had some brilliant Premier League strikers. And you, you've, you've even not mentioned two that I would put in the discussion. Who? Um, uh, Peter Crouch? <laughs> uh, uh, Harry Ar- Kiel? Andre Varanen, yeah. No, they... Um, I think, <laughs> uh, peak, uh, peak Robbie Fowler from 1994 to 96 and Michael, Michael Owen from 1997 to 99 before the hamstring against Eden Road. Like... Michael Owen is, you know, it's he, very difficult to warm to him and all that, and, and going to United and the whole the way the Newcastle transfer came about, and he didn't want to play for them and all that. The rest of it, I think it's easy to forget how unbelievable Michael Owen was when he came on the scene. Like the pace and finishing was akin to Brazilian Ronaldo, obviously not as good but very similar. Robbie Fowler had this amazing ability to finish from any angle at all, and had incredible technique. 
So they've had a serious uh, cohort to choose from, like choosing a Liverpool front two uh, or mm. three in the Premier League era, some task. Like tougher than United, like tougher than maybe any other section of anybody else's team in Premier League history. Their, their level of striker is frightening. Frightening. Yeah, well, I, I think it, it also comes into the fact that those players were playing in lesser teams, I guess. Like yeah. if you think of uh, the, the early 2000s Liverpool side is a pretty strong side, but it's not a Champions League final two years in a row plus a Premier League title standard of side. Same with Steven Gerrard, who basically dragged them, albeit they did have some talent in that squad. But it, you could say that it's probably one of the worst squads that have won the Champions League. Then Luis Suarez dragged that Liverpool side to almost winning the Premier League title and they collapsed in the last two years. I, I loved Luis Suarez. I, I think he's, you know, next level as well as you. I, 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 but for me, I think it is between Salah and Suarez. I, I, I don't think Liverpool make those Champions Leagues. I don't think they win the Champions League. I don't. I probably make an argument they don't win the Premier League if they don't have Mo Salah on that side. I think he has been oh, transformative yeah. in what he's done to the Liverpool team. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I do think, though, it's, it's very interesting, Colin, talking there about Suarez as well. Just like a little bit like Salah, and that unique factor, like there was just something about him that was just you—you you couldn't really pin it down. You, like he kind of worked. It's almost like that thing everyone else is kind of like. It's just a different sort of way of thinking and approaching, a different sort of physicality, a different everything. Like he just kind of like physiologically, he just seemed to be on a different wavelength to everyone around him. It was just really kind of unique. I suppose the fact as well, you have the added thing. I don't know how much it matters in it, but what he's got on to do as well, like. I'd like he's, he's still at it. Like I know he's yeah. not not the player he was, but he's still still a serious threat. Yeah, he's still scoring against Barcelona and still firing yeah. Atletico at the at the top of La Liga. And plus, you, you get an extra ten points from me if you're an absolute bastard on the pitch as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> Luis Suarez is well up there in terms of. Uh, well, that, goes, that does go to show how brilliant he is because it would have been easy for that to be the dominant feature of him as a player is that, you know, little biting spell he had for a couple of years. And like that could be <laughs> the dominant thing with Suarez. But it's actually not really. It's more of a side note. I know it's yeah. probably because it hasn't happened in a while. But, you know, he's he, he is awful to play against. Like, you know, he, like watching him, he's so annoying and he's horrible to the referees. And he's uh, like, you know, he complains about everything. And he's like, you know, gamesmanship, if you want to call it generously a lot of the time. But the, that goes to show how brilliant he is, is that you don't even really talk about that that much. It's just like, he's a phenomenal footballer who, I, I always give extra credit to people who don't have, who aren't blessed with natural eticism. So he didn't have blistering pace. So I give him a little bit more than I That's would. That's a nice way to say he was kind of fat. No, I think he, I don't think he's ever, I think he's obviously in shape. But if you're looking at like Salah has like naturally so fast, Michael Owen was, Tarras is very quick when he, before all the injuries, and Suarez never was blessed with that, but he was so sharp. Like that Norwich, those Norwich City goals, there's about four or five of them against Norwich alone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't I can't argue with that. I do find it funny, and it, it speaks to the level of player he is, that you're able to describe his uh, little biting phase as a little biting phase, as opposed to being a completely career-ending uh, situation that happened more than, more than once. So, I mean... There's obviously some some darker elements to it as well, but sheer uh, sheer footballing ability. I think Suarez is definitely uh, one or two for me, if not uh, number one nailed down. Just before we finish up on Liverpool Man City, then Column, I know you love the Barclays. I know you are a, a Premier League era man. You absolutely love the 
the the rivalries that come with it. Where does this Man City Liverpool rivalry rank in the best Premier League rivalries? Uh, football wise, it's the best, definitely, definitely the best quality. Um, it probably doesn't have the narrative of Arsenal Manchester United from twenty years ago, which was there was so much to watch on and off the pitch. So that for me, but I'm obviously biased as a United fan, but that that for me is kind of untouchable. But like, it's not just the game recently, the Liverpool City game, but you have the John Stones off the line game, which is probably the best quality match I've ever seen in the Premier yeah. League. The Champions League games as well. Yeah, Champions League games. And then the the game in Anfield uh, when Riyad Mahrez wasn't at the club long and he plays the bar, ball over the bar with his penalty. Another nil all. And so like, you know, for a series of low scoring games, they're amazing. And the Phil Foden game as well was it last season or the season before where he just destroyed Liverpool at Anfield. So like, ah, oh, in terms of quality, I think it's untouchable in the Premier League, but I would have it behind Arsenal United because there was so much to 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 keep an eye on for that for you know, that was about five or six years of gold. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish it happened to, now, lads. To use a drinking analogy, the Arsenal Man United is probably a Guinness. You know, it's an absolute classic. You'll always go back to it and you might waver a couple of other t- to a different couple of other drinks, but ultimately you'll come back to, to Guinness. I would describe Man City Liverpool as maybe a nice glass of Merlot with a steak because it's refined. You've got the two managers with a lovely game plan, whereas, you know, Man United was just like great crack as opposed <laughs> yeah. to uh, yeah. ultimate professionals um, being tactically nice. Arthur, your final thoughts on, on the rivalry? Where does it rank in, in the great rivalries of our time? Yeah. Um, no, I think you're spot on in terms of nothing touches. Yeah, I don't think anything touches United Arsenal just for the you just look at how many of those characters are still around, well, players, characters, whatever, around from, are still around now, still just firmly lodged in the kind of public consciousness. It just kind of had a lasting impact. Um, yeah, I, I, the Liverpool-Man City one, I think you're spot on in terms of con, in terms of the quality. It doesn't do much for me in terms of excitement, to be honest with you. I, I Like, I know, like, it's, it, that sounds almost silly, and but, like, I just, it doesn't. Like, I, I'd rather take some of those even... I suppose Chelsea didn't really have a rival as such under Mourinho. I think the North London Derby is probably still higher for me. Uh, even then, yeah. Spurs so rarely win it. It's just it's like it's still such a one-way thing. Um, yeah, like I, I, yeah, I, I liked, I liked that Mourinho's Chelsea against the world. It probably lacks the same sort of focus, but I did enjoy that. There was something just about that that made I, the way they played as well. I know it wasn't the same quality, but. It was, it was very appealing all the same yeah I think again to bring it back to the it's it's a refined rivalry like there's no yeah. it's just pure it's a pure football rivalry as opposed to having anything to do with like cultural demographics or the the history of the two clubs it's, it's purely on the fact that Pep and Klopp are two of the greatest coaches to ever live and they have the two best teams in the Premier League over the last five years I think that's like this rivalry will die out whereas the Arsenal United thing is everlasting, I feel, and the North London Derby is obviously going to be there. But if Pep ever leaves, if Klopp ever leaves, and these clubs, you know, ever go through an Arsenal or Man United phase, I don't think people are going to be looking forward to this, as opposed to you know United Arsenal still is kind of a thing. Anyway, that's where we park the Premier League for this week because there is an international window. Rejoice, there is another international window coming up this weekend. Ireland taking on Azerbaijan and taking on Qatar then on Tuesday as well. So we're going to be talking about that and about Calm Robinson's vaccination um, comments during the week as well. Stay tuned. It's ecstasy! Astonishing! 
This is not just a dream, it's a wet dream of orgasmic proportions. And you know, you made your name as a wheeler and dealer. There's not no, been much wheeling and no, dealing here, no, has no, no, I'm not a wheeler and dealer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I didn't mean all that. Sir Alex, uh, if um, the owners of Man United gave you a blank cheque um, over the summer and, and allowed you to bring in any one, just one, of Barcelona's team from tonight, who would you sign? Oh, Vascarano. Now, welcome back to Team 33 and a call here with you up until about 10 o'clock. Arthur O'Dea is with me and is Colin Buig. We're turning our attention now to the international window, Ireland taking on Azerbaijan this Saturday and then Qatar on Tuesday. The main headlines from this week are not about on the pitch. Again, once again, there is something to talk about within this Ireland camp, and that is vaccinations and COVID. And Callum Robinson was talking during the week. Callum Robinson obviously missing out on a couple of camps due to COVID. He missed two camps. He had COVID twice, and he was asked about vaccinations in the press conference in the lead-up to the Azerbaijan game. Here's what he had to say. So the first time wasn't as 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 bad as the second time. Um, smell, taste, you know, you know the... What the the normal symptoms? The second one, I had a little little bit of a bad chest, um, which was a little bit annoying. So it took a, it took probably longer to get back to my my full fitness and, and to get my energy back because I think it it took a little bit more out of me than than the first time. Just on the wider point, there's been a lot of talk recently. Both of Klopp was very impassioned last week about the issue, and Stephen says he would prefer players here were all vaccinated, but think that forced them to get vaccinated. Um, what's your take? You've, you've had a choice. Do you feel that it should be a condition of being international football, professional football? Um, my honest opinion would be it's your choice. Like I, I wouldn't be to say everyone should be vaccinated um, or you shouldn't get vaccinated. I think it's your personal choice. If you want to be vaccinated, then then go go do it. But if you don't want to. It is what it is. It's everyone's choice. I can't tell people to get it, and I can't tell people not to. Dave, what's your personal choice, Connor? Have you decided to get vaccinated? I haven't been vaccinated yet, no. So that's my that's my choice at this moment in time. So people might think that's unusual, given your own personal health experiences. Yeah, of course. Um, as I said, it's obviously annoying that I've that I've caught it twice, but I I, I haven't been vaccinated. Um, it, further down the line, I'm, I could change my mind and want to do it, but at this moment in time, I haven't been vaccinated, no. Dan, do you mind if I ask you why you've I just haven't done it. Um, I think, as I said uh, to you, man, here, it's, it's your personal choice. And um, my choice at this moment in time, I haven't, I haven't been vaccinated. Um, I know, as you said, there's managers and people that will want you to do it, which is... <laughs> which is right in their way of what they think, but everyone has their their choice and what they want to do. I wouldn't force it on people to do it or not. It's your choice. It's your body and where you, 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 you think you lost caps because of it? Did you might have avoided the second one? Well, the first ones, I'm not sure if I could have even had the vaccination last year. Um, yeah, so obviously I missed the the two. I think I played one. Um, I played the. Serbia away, uh, no Slovakia away. Sorry, and then it was close contact, and then I actually caught it against just before the the England friendly, and I missed three games. But I've de- obviously definitely lost lost caps through through the, the corona um, because of the coronavirus, which is it's obviously so annoying um, that a virus can take away caps from you. But, but if the second time you get that vaccinated, there's a huge uh, percentage of chance of you not getting it the second time. Do you realise that's the most recent time? 
What, on the other month? Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. But that, as I said, that was my choice. I haven't been vaccinated and that's that's where I'm at at the moment. As I said, if things ch things might change, well, I think, yeah, I want to get va vaccinated, I'm going to do it. But at this moment in time, I, I haven't, haven't made that decision at the moment. I'm not, no. All right, so that was Callum Robinson talking about his vaccination situation ahead of Ireland's game against Azerbaijan this weekend. I mean, he, he says that it's a personal choice and that, you know, it's up to him and it's his body and all this. And it just, for me, it's not really a personal choice if you're affecting people around you. I mean, the, not only does the vaccination protect you from getting it, it, pre it prevents uh, prevents you from from spreading it as easily as well so for me if you want to play international football if you want to play professional football if you want to be involved in camps that you know live or die on whether people are available or, or not it's probably not as much of a personal choice as you might think totally um it seems mad to me that this has even uh, been allowed to happen this ambiguity that players may or may not do it i think uh like players are in a used to being told what to do all the time by their clubs and uh, I think this should have just been another part of the protocol and say lads let's get vaccinated here and um, yeah, there could have been exceptions made I'm sure but um, I think we touched on it on, on OTBAM this week as well is that Robinson didn't, didn't elaborate there when he was asked but we're assuming he's being led astray by you know other reports by players they're sending on to him and but i'm surprised that no one in his life has intervened but obviously it's a dominating uh, attitude among the players is that no it really affects you detrimentally and you won't be the same player after you know getting your your vaccination so maybe there needs to be a campaign by medical professionals if that could happen to say i promise you you will not be affected at all uh you will be the exact same player that you were before the vaccination because as much as we're complaining about it and it'd be like oh it's ridiculous and they should do it something needs to happen because obviously they're not going to do it as it stands. So I think there really does need to be a campaign to say like, mm. I promise you, you'll be fine kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's mental. It's crazy. Like he got it twice and he's describing it as annoying. It's annoying. Yeah. To well, well yeah. Stephen Kenny said that he's not the only one in the camp that hasn't been vaccinated as well. And it just seems bizarre to me. And look, there's obviously situations where he's reading something and it's it's telling him one thing and maybe that's not necessarily true but getting a respiratory disease seems a lot more detrimental to uh, your performance as a professional athlete than getting a vaccination and what's interesting to me is the amount of footballers that you speak in in the post of their career that talk about medical professionals giving them like you know uh, pills to help with pain things like that they don't ask questions they just do it they just take it and it's bizarre to me that this is not one of those situations where they just say, you know what, yeah, I'll, I'll get vaccinated. I, I will uh, do whatever I can to keep myself on the pitch. And uh, at the end of the day, Robinson missed time for his club and country because of his uh, his actions here and, and not getting uh, not getting protected to the fullest that he could possibly do. Uh, Arthur, th this is obviously a sensitive topic. It's obviously a difficult one to judge. And look, at the end of the day, Robinson is sort of right. It is everybody's personal choice whether they want to get in uh, get the vaccination or not. But you should probably make that choice based upon education and educated choice and what is the best for me and the people around me as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like, it's very hard, I suppose, to have be too determinative about it. Like, so I like from like, I don't know, like from my own perspective. So like I 
was vaccinated, but I didn't put any thought into it at all, if you know what I mean. It, it wasn't like I had to make a decision. So it's kind of hard, I think, to... Um, it's hard in, in certain regards to criticise someone for thinking about it, um, just just theoretically. Maybe not, you know, I don't mean that specifically. Obviously, I have my own thoughts specifically on it, you know, based on action. But in terms of... Um, I, I would have found it a lot easier, I think, if he'd been more specific about why he didn't want to. Now, maybe he will. Maybe he, wasn't, he didn't want it there in front of a whole room of journalists and people he doesn't, you know, know, essentially. Airing that there might not be ideal for him, but it would help, I think, in terms of, as you're saying, with campaigns and, and trying to get people on board and stuff like that, that if he was to explain it and maybe to engage in some sort of public dialogue with it, it could help. Um in terms of stuff like forced vaccinations and stuff, I think that's probably that's a <laughs> I think that's a that's an odd thing to go down. So I don't know if that could happen, but I do probably think at some stage, if things keep going, like maybe you know, I'm sure it'll stay a relevant issue. Um, you will probably have to get to a point where if you're not vaccinated, that certain things are ruled out to you. You know that you can't like you know like you can't tr- you can't tr- you know. I don't know. It's extremely hard, I think, because it is so new and it's such an odd thing to go. If you don't put, you know, X into your body, then you can't participate in what you, this. It's it's not really something I don't know. Like I was trying to think about, it, like, is there anything you can think of or any sort of similar scenario? No, it's new. It's new for everybody. But what I'm surprised about, it's kind of too late now. They're going to have to come up with a new strategy. So they can't make anyone do it now. Uh, I'm not saying they ever should have made anyone do it, but I think they should have created the climate, the clubs now, um, being, you know, we're all getting now because it would make us better. And the players would have bought into that if you had packaged it correctly. And it wouldn't, mm. they wouldn't have had a second thought. There might have been um, the odd dispute about it, and maybe one or two players wouldn't have for whatever reason. But I think um, there's a kind of a sheep mentality, and I think if the majority of the room is doing it, they would have bought into it. So mm. I'm surprised that they just let it off to the players. I am. I'm very surprised yeah. if that's what's happened. If that's what's happened, yeah, and, we're, we're uh, seeing a, a similar issue with the NBA players as well at the minute. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I mean, to be uh, incredibly definitive about this because I don't know the circumstances behind the scenes. But looking from the outside in, that would seem to me. But I mean, what I'm saying there is advice in hindsight, which is no good. So I'm talking about going forward. Yeah, I think that I think the narrative needs to change, and you might get the players buying into it then. But it would take time now at this stage. It would really take time. But I'd be really interested in that. Was it roughly 20% of players have been vaccinated? I wonder what made them do it. And could they come out and talk about it? Yeah, well, there was a thing, wasn't it, this morning? There was a report, or during the week, on, on Wednesday morning in the Times, there was a report about, um, I think, as many, some clubs, so Liverpool, club was talking about, they're, what, 99% vaccinated or something like that. So all but done. But then there was, I think, two unnamed clubs who were sub 20, 20 or below percent of people vaccinated, which is just kind of, I, it's fascinating how the dichotomy could be that, how it could be that split in terms of like, these are all people, I suppose, working within the same industry in a relatively small area. Um, obviously a huge population, but like, it's very interesting. That to me is, I, I think it was in, it was in the mail as well last week or something. I'm not sure was it two thirds have and one third hasn't. I think it's probably one third has, two thirds haven't, but it's a huge kind of, it's it's just it's very interesting. I'd be fascinated to know what is informing this decision. Why why are yeah. people because they're not they're not fools. Like it's not it's not you know what I mean. They're not, it's not like they're not un, they're clearly. I don't know. I don't know like what it is about it that makes them less likely to just take take the vaccine. 
Well, well, here's the th here's the thing. There was a, a scheme in the 1990s that a lot of professional footballers um, fell uh, a victim to in terms of uh, investments. It was an investment firm into British films, and a, a lot of uh, you know early day Premier League players were. Um, were scammed essentially by this by this Ponzi scheme that people were investing and they lost loads of money, and it came out that footballers were prime targets because they were people who had not gone on to higher education. They had left school at fifteen years old. They didn't really have an education as sorts. Their education was football. They went through academies. They went through um, sort of apprenticeship things, and they were very easy targets because they weren't really life. I don't know. Life trained, I guess, is is the right way to do it. And and now, if you look at the modern day footballer, they're the same. They're dragged out of school at fourteen, fifteen. If they want to go on to Premier League football, they play in academies. They do do a little bit of schooling within the the the, the systems, but again, they're not higher educated people who have a lot of life experience outside the bubble of what is a professional footballer's life from the age of fifteen. And they spend most of their time on social media because they have nothing else to do. Because they aren't going out drinking, they aren't going out to the cinema. They can't really experience normal life so you can imagine how if people are being targeted specifically on facebook with these misinformation uh situations that footballers would be again prime targets for this sort of misinformation because they're constantly on social media they're constantly not seeing what might be the correct information and maybe it's just a, se a sense that you know they're just getting the wrong information here and that's where i think colin's point comes in is that you know they need to be either you know, educated properly in what the vaccination process is about, what what's it supposed to do, and why it's important to get it done outside of the fact that they can get it. It's about other people getting it. It's about the people who are working with them, like medical professionals, physios, trainers. They have to go home to their families as well. So it's not just about what Cam Robinson is saying where, okay, he, he got it twice, so that doesn't matter. It's about other people getting it off him and potentially not having as strong an immune system as he has to fight it off. So I, I think I, I think it's a clear-cut issue. I, I think clubs should be saying, right, you're professional footballers, you're getting paid a massive amount of money to play for us every single week. Take the vaccination or you're not playing. Because but It's, a group, it's uh, a group mentality too, and because it's not just about uh, targeting, you know, uh, limitedly educated people, I, like no, I completely know, agree. Not, I, I don't want to be. I don't want to come coming off as if I'm calling, yeah, I calling Premier League footballers stupid. I just say they're they're good targets for it. No, you gave that as an example, which is absolutely correct for the reasons you gave. But like all society is susceptible to this. There was the Aircom shares in Ireland in 1999, 2000, and everybody wanted to get on board in that. Like, and you were a fool if you did that. You're watching that during the week. That's your impression of mine. And uh, it just stood out to me there when ended with naming that example, but. Yeah, it's so odd seeing the likes of Thomas Tuchel come out in press conferences and say, like, oh, yeah, as far as I know, my, you know, some of the players here aren't getting it. And it's such a separation. And it's like, you know, yeah. this goes way beyond football, way, way beyond. Yeah. Like, this yeah, is a societal yeah, yeah. issue. But, uh, yeah, I look, I kind of, I'd be on your side of it, Enda. I think it's, uh, it is cut and dry. I think literally they need people to come in and say, look, lads, this is honestly the benefit of it. I swear, I swear to you, like, it's not going to impact you negatively. Like, just get it done. And you and your family will be safe forever. You're not. I know you're not going to get sick. You're fit and healthy, but your family might. It'll be out of your mind. You can get on with the season. Happy days. This will all be behind us. Maybe it needs that attitude. But I don't know. I, I'm not privy to behind the scenes. Obviously, and neither none of us are. But that's yeah. what I would think. Looking from the outside in. Yeah, exactly. That's that's about all we can do. It might all come out. It might all come yeah. out. But I'm fascinated by the Liverpool take up that Arthur was saying there. Yeah. I wonder is that Jurgen Klopp? 
and then I mean, like maybe we're putting too much credit on Tierra Clapper. Clap is such a motivator and such a galvanizer of people. I wonder, I just wonder, did he come into be like, come on, lads? Like, I got it. And look at me, I'm fine. Yeah, I, I just think, as, as if I were to put myself in the shoes of a Premier League manager, I would be saying to my players, look, this makes you 80, 90% less likely to be out injured or be out sick yeah. for oh, two yeah. weeks. Take the vaccine or you're not playing. I am not having you a threat to my dressing room. If you are a, if you're going to be in mixing with my players, if you're going to be training with everyone else, I am not. Make, I'm not allowing you to bring the risk of getting COVID and giving it to five or six other players who should not have it otherwise. That's that's exactly what I'd be saying. And I I, I, I realize that there are wider issues involved in this, but I think it's maybe stamp your authority a bit. This is a serious issue that could cause five or six different players to be out injured for a big match. Imagine, say, for example, the Liverpool team were one of those uh, minus 20% teams Imagine one player gets COVID within that. And against Man City, they don't have Mo Salah. They don't have uh, Sadio Mane. They don't have Firmino. They don't have Wijnaldum. All these players are... Oh, well, they wouldn't have Wijnaldum anyway. But all these four or five different players are injured. You don't get that 2-2 game. You get a 4-0 thrashing. And that's where I would be approaching it in terms of uh, a Premier League footballer. The practicality of it, it it's very... I, I don't think... like I, like So it's still nominally, anyway, a workplace. So you mm. can't like realistically just tell someone, well, you can't come to work anymore because you're not doing this. I, like it just some some places have taken that approach. Yeah, I don't know how well it would hold up though. I don't know, like especially if it's a case of, and again, I don't want to test. You don't want to test the camaraderie of, of players too much, but like, what would like certain players at other clubs feel if if one because it would get out if people felt under duress to do this that their career was under threat. I know we're getting very into the weeds and it like and, and different individual approaches, but it doesn't seem like um, like they'd be fairly resilient. Like they're if, if if they're being this, if he's that not, I don't think he was necessarily brazen. He was just being sort of honest about his approach. But if Callum Robinson was happy enough to come out and say that, uh, you know, with a relatively relatively minor profile, I suppose to some of his peers in the Premier League or whatever. I don't think it would take too much if if people felt under duress or that they were being forced to do it. Um, for that to kick up a lot of fuss. Yeah, it's 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 really tough to know, especially from the outside. And I would imagine a lot more information will come out on this over the next few months and perhaps into the years as COVID continues on. We're getting to the near near the end of our program. I should mention before we go that the Pogma Goal magazine, the uh, annual magazine coming from Ireland, the only football magazine that comes out every year some really good stuff in it it's available to pre-order this friday if you're listening on the radio that is today you can pre-order the magazine it will have a piece from yours truly this is a, a shameless plug it's about little donegal is the name of the title it's about the link between donegal scotland and what that uh, what effect that had on irish football so you have you know ray houghton has relations in donegal uh, owen coyle has relations in donegal ed mcgiddy frequently came over for the summer and beyond that, James McCarthy and the impact and sort of the the, the way that uh, Scotland has this weird link with Donegal. Um, so that is coming in the Pogue McGoal magazine this week. Arthur, you're from around the same area that Brother Walford is from, aren't you? Yeah, but not, not too far. Like, I'm, I'm from just outside Sligo Town. My mother's from um, Cache, the next kind of major town would be Valley Moat. And there's the wee, um, is it a, I think it's a bust just of his head, and uh, just down there by the train station, I think. So I was actually quite proud of those routes. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's not as much. I'd like, 
It's interesting. So, like, because I didn't really, I didn't grasp. You know, when I actually, when you were talking before on um, on OTBM on the Mount Rushmore, and I think it was yourself and Kieran Cunningham were on, and you were talking about Paddy Bonner, how he was just a shoe in on this list, and it was like, even if he didn't, I think Kieran Cunningham might have said, or you, even if he hadn't played, even if he hadn't done what he did for Ireland, by way of say Italian ninety and stuff, just by virtue of the fact that he played for Celtic for so long, that would be mm-hmm. enough for him to be up here because that is so important to Donegal. That yeah, it's. That, it's- that's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I, the piece I, I do want to say it's just not about it's not just about Celtic. It's about the wider links. Like we, for some reason we drink tenants uh, where I'm from. Uh, you can like you can hear it in our accents. We have the same twangs. And there was a great video of the Guidor of of Guidor in the south of Donegal. There was a cavalcade. And it wasn't because they won the club championship. It was because Celtic had tied up the ninth title in a row. Yeah. And there was an actual like there was an actual party in the town because Celtic had won. That's how that's how deep these links go. But um, we love talking about the trains and the lack of infrastructure in Donegal. There was actually a um, there was a bus that ran weekly, every single week from Donegal to Glasgow. Um, that people would go over and meet their families and uh, free, free, frequent go over frequently go over to Scotland more than they would go to Dublin. Um, they'd go to Glasgow. What, what what's the basis of link? Sorry, is it just completely through migration or? So yeah, it goes back to what uh, what were known as uh, tatty pickers, which are potato farmers who went over um, when there was uh, they were badly needed in Scotland and kind of where when they weren't really needed in Ireland in the, the migration eras of, you know, the late 1800s firstly and then secondly in the 1950s. So that's really where it comes from is the potato farmers going over to Scotland and them coming back and families and, and things like that. So it's not as much to do with the plantation as you might imagine. It's actually more to do with Irish people fecking off and going to Scotland uh, where they needed some some good potato pickers. <laughs> that's tough. That's so interesting, yeah. though. Just that crossover. I didn't realize, like, yeah, I didn't realize it was ever that rooted. If you know what I mean, like in actual, like I suppose in actual shared experience of place and stuff. That that's, yeah. I remember. I don't know, Colin. You'll definitely have seen it as well. Um, what was that? Beyond the Promised Land. Remember that Man United documentary that came oh, out yeah, after yeah, the yeah, treble. Yeah. And I don't know where it was from. Obviously, this wasn't too long after sort of Oma bombing and stuff and the troubles, um, that escalation of it. But I remember as well, there was busloads of people going over from Northern Ireland every week um, to Manchester, to Old Trafford, whatever, every two weeks, whatever, to watch matches. But just, just like, as if it's their local team, like just that same similar bonds, I presume informed by similar things with migration. I know I've, family of mine went and migrated to Manchester on, on both sides of my family, I think from Sligo and from Limerick. Um, so yeah, those bonds are pretty tight. I didn't realize that that Celtic link is. Looking forward to reading that. Yeah, that West of Ireland Manchester connection is massive. It's where the uh, Gallagher brothers are from. Ended. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Liam Gallagher playing guitar in a, a pub in in Mayo a couple of years ago. I went I think, by as far as uh, I went by that pub. I was in, I've been in that pub a separate time. JJ Finans and I went by it recently on the way to Sligo as I was uh-huh. uh, an Arthur. I was up there. So uh, I like the end of this pad. It's totally. I thought it was in a different pad there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we will we'll start a pod like that at some stage, but that is all we have time for on this week's Team 3-3. Arthur, cheers. Uh, thanks, man. Chat to you again, Enda. Colin Boog, it's like you've never been away. Thanks. Cheers, boys. Take it easy. All right.
All right, so that is us done on Team 33. My thanks to Colm and Arthur and to you for listening in as well. If you want to listen back to that show or any of the Team 33 podcasts, the usual place is the OTB Sports app. You can get it in your app store or your Google Play store. You can get all the -the off-the-ball material, all the podcasts. You can subscribe to the feed, get notified every time a podcast goes live as well. And it's just really handy to have there in your pocket to get all the best off the ball material. We will be back again in the same time, same place next week. But until then, Iowa, Slango Foil, take away Johan.